This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. So you're saying the universe created a sitcom starring two Avengers. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we explore film series one movie at a time, or in this case, explore TV series uh, one half season at a time. I'm your host, Gabe Green, and as always, I am here with my co-host, James Hamrick. What's up, dude? Nothing much. Excited to, to talk about this one. Yeah. So today, um, we are catching up with the MCU. We caught up with Star Wars. Now we're going back to the MCU to talk about the very first MCU show coming uh, from Marvel, coming directly from Marvel Studios with WandaVision. So this episode is going to be uh, divided into two parts. Today uh, we're going to be talking about the first four episodes and uh, our next episode will be on the final five. But before we talk about that, I want to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, please uh, take a moment to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review and subscribe. Also, uh, like us on Facebook uh, where you can keep up to date with all the latest episodes and uh, leave feedback that can end up on the show. And speaking of said feedback, I asked on Facebook what our listeners thought, and we got one response. Um, Michael Hoover from the A Certain Point of View podcast, they're really cool folks over there, said, I haven't been this into a show on a weekly basis since Lost. They sucked me in with the mystery, but an episode or two in, I found myself staying around for the story. I know a lot of people didn't think WandaVision sucked the landing, but the show is about Wanda dealing with grief and ultimately dealing with the consequences of her actions. As far as that goes, they absolutely nailed it. Um, and we'll definitely, we're, uh, probably next episode, we're definitely going to talk about that, the, the you know, the, the being sucked into a show, the kind of the, the, the lost type show where the whole culture is sucked into it and talking about it. Um, this was definitely one of the, the big ones in recent memory. All right, so moving over to the behind the scenes discussion on this. Um, I kind of, I know we covered some of the history of Marvel back two or so years ago when we talked, you know, three Probably three years ago now. Was, was, was Iron Man when we did Justice League? Was that the same trip down there? Was that? One of, or was that or was that the trip with? Yeah, I think the, that was that was for King of the Monsters. Oh yeah yeah yeah. What did what did we record for? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> uh, but it, it's still definitely been a while. Um, I talked about some of the history of Marvel and the MCU. Uh, but now, since we're moving into the time of TV, uh, the question arises, wait, what makes this show so special? We've been having Marvel and technically MCU-related shows forever. Um, and so I'm going to get into the technical technicalities of why this show is different. Because um, obviously we've had shows like uh, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, The Punisher, The Defenders, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter... In the Inhumans and the Runaways and a Cloak and Dagger, also a show that no one's ever heard of called Hellstrom. It lasted for one season last year. The heck is that? I don't know. It, it like it, it was like a Marvel show coming and no one ever talked about it. Got canceled uh, with everything else. Um, see, all of those shows were technically part of the MCU. Going back into the old days of the 2010s, Marvel Studios was part of Marvel Entertainment, which was run by a fellow named. Ike Perlmutter, uh, Feige reported to him. And so while Feige was running the, the, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies in 2010, 
Marvel Television was formed, and in 2013, they put out their big MCU show, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, this was not run by Feige, and while part of the MCU in name, uh, no one at Marvel Studios seemed to pay the show much of any mind. Uh, this was run by you know, Marvel Entertainment, diff an entirely different uh, department from Marvel Studios where Feige was working. And so in the early years, shows like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter tried very hard to tie themselves into the MCU, but the MCU <laughs> wasn't really cooperating. Um, so that was kind of happening, and then it feels like towards the later seasons, I mean, I mean, like season five of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now, and they seem to have just completely gone off in their own direction and are not paying attention to the movies whatsoever, as far as I can tell. And while this was happening, flash forward to about 2015, Feige was chafing under Perlmutter's leadership. Uh, this conflict culminated during uh, the production of Civil War in 2015. That there's We talked about that in our Civil War episode, but essentially Feige went and appealed to Disney and ended up having Marvel Studios brought under the umbrella of Walt Disney Studios, then thus independent of Marvel Entertainment, which kept on running and they kept on doing their own thing. And then they even they even did a partnerships with uh, FX and Fox, which is also now Disney, to make, to make uh, X-Men universe shows like Legion and The Gifted, which were... Yeah, Legion. I haven't seen that. Uh, which were technic awesome. technically part of the, the X-Men continuity. It's all Disney now, so it doesn't really matter. But... <laughs> uh, Yes, yeah, so that was that was all happening, but all of this ended in 2019, when Marvel Television was taken away from Marvel Entertainment and Ike Perlmutter and placed under the direct control of Marvel Studios and Kevin Feige. Um, so, as I understand it, like uh, Marvel Entertainment now runs the comics and merchandising and stuff like that, but they have no control over the movies or television. Um, so Feige is slowly taking over everything, essentially. Um, and you remember, and you, you probably remember that time in 2019 when everything got canceled, uh, when uh, all the Netflix shows, like one after another, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, uh, The Punisher. Usually, they, they'd have their third season or, or second season, and then as soon as that finished airing, canceled. It was believe it or not, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so all of that was happening because Mar Marvel's uh, because Marvel Television was now under Feige's control. And he was setting up the way to become you know, what they are now, to, to make shows that are actually truly part of the MCU. So that's, long story short, that's what happened. And that's why the new, Mar the new MCU TV shows are so much more integrated and so different from old Marvel television. Um, I hope some of that made sense. <laughs> so let's move over to actually talking about WandaVision. And we have to talk about, right off the bat, uh, COVID. That kind of screwed up with screwed up everything. So while Wine Division did actually air around when it was supposed to, it was never intended to be the first MCU chapter in a year and a half. We're supposed to get Black Widow, The Eternals, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier in 2020. Um, they all got delayed for various COVID-related reasons, and so the MCU got their grand return with Wine Division in the beginning of 2021 after what was the series' longest gap since between The Incredible Hulk and Iron Man 2 between 2008 and 2010. So uh, in the fall of 2018, it was leaked that several shows were in development for Disney, uh, for Disney's as-of-yet unnamed upcoming streaming service, including the one that would be about The Scarlet Witch. Uh, Feige himself came up with the concept of this show, including the part about it being a homage to classic sitcoms. All of this was, was his idea. In early 2019, Jack Schaefer was announced as the head writer for the series. 
She had previously worked with Disney and Marvel. She wrote the short film Olaf's Frozen Adventure that uh, rather infamously played in front of Coco, which is terrible. <laughs> she also did uncredited writing for Captain Marvel as well. And she was also she was one of the early writers uh, on Black Widow and has a story by credit on this on that film. Uh, this would be her first TV project. The producer for the series was uh, Mary Lovanos. Um, as I understand it, listening to various interviews with uh, Jack Schaefer and Malcolm Spellman from Falcon the Winter Soldier, the showrunners or the head writers are paired with a Marvel producer who who knows the overall plan for Marvel, also for the, for the MCU. They're also like comic fans. They, they, they understand the comics, they understand the universe, uh, and they're paired with these writers who want to tell the story. And according to Malcolm Spellman, none of these filmmakers have any idea what's happening in the larger MCU, like what's what's happening outside of their show. They're not allowed to talk to the fellow showrunners. So the producer is there to tell them, like in case they go in a direction that's going to contradict or cross over with another project to rein them in. But otherwise, I, I, I'm guessing the idea is to give them a kind of a sense of a sense of freedom to where they're, they're not trying to match other shows and, and to fit into that. They're just going to do their own thing. You know, within the guidance to make sure they don't they don't mess just mess up the continuity, so they put together a writers room consisting of uh, Jack Schaefer, uh, Peter Cameron of Carnival Row, Mackenzie Doer from Lock and Key, Gretchen Enders from Grace and Frankie, Laura Dani, uh, uh, Bobak and Sfarjani, Megan McDowell and Cameron Squires. Veteran TV director Matt Shackman was brought on to direct all nine episodes. This dude is crazy. He's in his mid forties, and according to IMDb, in his nineteen years as a director. He has, uh, by my, he has directed, by my count, 135 episodes of television for 50 different shows, plus a movie, which is which seems to be about, a set, about seven episodes per year. Um, I just, I don't even understand. Like that, that level of work is crazy. As I said, he's, he's worked on 50 different shows, be like House, Weeds, Mad Men, Billions, uh, and lately The Boys and Game of Thrones. He did the fan favorite uh, Game of Thrones episode, The Spoils of War. Uh, which is what put him on Marvel's radar. You've probably seen the the image, James, of the dragon flying over a wagon train, scorchy as it explodes. Oh, yeah. That's that's his episode. Uh, oh, okay. th that was what put him on Marvel's radar. Uh, he also did 43 episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> um, Amazing. So he could say he's pretty much a pro in the industry. So according to Shackman, uh, Jack Schaefer, Mary Lovanos, and him were the primary creative forces behind the show. There wasn't a traditional showrunner, because Feige also was overseeing everything and had a lot of creative involvement, it being his idea. Um, so all those four people together were kind of the guidance for the show. Also, two people that should be mentioned that almost never are are uh, Louis D'Esposito and Victoria Alonso. They are also the head honchos of Marvel alongside Feige. Um, like they're the, pretty much the first credits that come up in any Marvel-related thing. Um, so they're, they're, they're working alongside Feige on everything MCU, but then usually kind of Feige gets all the credit. For the show's cast, we've got obviously a lot of uh, recurring characters from previous films. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff. Uh, we've always kind of referred to her as the Scarlet Witch, but we finally get the name dropped here. Um, Paul Bettany as this created this fabricated vision and then the real vision later and then some smaller uh, returning names you have randall park as jimmy Wu uh and kat dennings as darcy lewis and so to get the i know we're doing the two episodes but we could just get the the entire casting done in, in this first one so we have deborah joe rupp as a uh, 
real name Sharon Davis, but who plays Mrs. Hart within the, the fictional WandaVision. Uh, Fred Melamed as Todd Davis or Arthur Hart. Catherine Hahn as who we initially know as Agnes, but is, who, is, who is later revealed to be Agatha Harkness. Did I'm pretty sure everyone knew this before the show even started airing. Well, there, so there was... There was a lot of guessing. The Agatha talk started very early on and kind of became canon. I feel yeah, like. I, re- I think most people kind of were suspicious, but Agatha Harkness was always second behind Mephisto. <laughs> I think I think even after the Agatha Harkness reveal, she was st- <laughs> Agatha was still second behind Mephisto in all of the fan theories. Yeah, was it Senor Scratchy was a Mephisto, I think? Yeah. I'm not convinced that's not the case still. I'm waiting for Multiverse of Madness. Well, there was actually... Uh, well, we'll talk about this in um, in the the second episode, but there was a plan for Senor Scratchy. Not Mephisto, not Mephisto but uh, something else. Ah, then what's the point? Uh, we have uh, Teona Paris as Monica Rambeau. Um, daughter, Evan Peters. Daughter of... Uh, what's her name? R- R- Rambo from Captain Marvel. What's her first name? Yes, uh, daughter uh, of Mar- uh, Maria Rambo. Yeah, her daughter. Um, <laughs> we have Evan Peters, uh, Evan Peters, Evan Peters as Ralph Boehner. No, no controversy around this at all. <laughs> we also have Asif Ali uh, as Norm, Harold Proctor or David Langle as Phil Jones, Amos Glick as Dennis. These are all just kind of the uh, the citizens. Uh, Emma Caulfield Ford. Uh, as Dottie Jones uh, and David Payton as Herb. That kind of rounds out the uh, the recurring characters within Westview. Uh, as for the villain, we have uh, Josh Stamberg as sword acting director Tyler Hayward, along yes. with Alan... <laughs> along with ha- uh, Alan Hickner and Selena Andrew, uh, or Andrews as sword agents Monty and Rodriguez. And then finally... Uh, Julian Hilliard and Jet Klein as Wanda and Vision's sons, Billy and Tommy. So filming began in the winter of 2019, which is just a bad time to start filming in hindsight. It was shot by Jess Hall. Uh, He was the DP on Hot Fuzz and the Ghost of the Shell remake. Uh, Second one being a very good looking movie. Uh, Like most Marvel films, it was primarily shot in Atlanta, Georgia. All the interiors for the show were shot at the Pinewood Atlanta Studios. In order to replicate the feeling of classic 50s sitcoms, the first episode was filmed on a stage in front of a live audience. For the early episodes, they tried to use effects and cinematic tre- techniques from the era rather than a you know, modern CGI, t- modern like techniques or a CGI when possible. A lot of string, like things on strings or uh, match cuts. There's a it's cool spotting all the little oh, the little kind of sparkly star effects whenever a, a special effect happens. It was adorable. So they, they filmed until the spring of 2019 uh, and then went on a planned break after a month. It was going to be a month long break and they then they would come back to L.A. where they would film all the exteriors. Uh, but then the whole thing got shut down a few weeks later due to uh, on March 14th due to covid. So they used the break to begin post-production on what they had already shot. A couple cha- uh, changes and tweaks were made during this time. They weren't able to start filming again until September, six months later, uh, where they resumed filming for all the exteriors in L.A. under very strict uh, and rigorous COVID protocols, which sound very intense, the stuff they had to go through. 
Shackman opted to shoot on lots at the uh, Warner Brothers ranch rather than on actual locations. The ranch is like essentially like a town. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like a, a sitcom town where a whole bunch of sitcoms have been shot at these very fake looking houses. He wanted a sense of fakeness for the exterior that he didn't think they could replicate on an actual location. So they, they lost about six months of post-production time on all the exterior stuff. And mu much of that final episode is all outside. So I'm guessing that's where most of the changes ended up happening because all, all the interiors had been filmed, you know, six months earlier. Um, and we'll talk about this in the next episode. You know, it's not clear how much COVID you know, and, and the delays surrounding that affected the story. Yeah, so it, it definitely affected the production. How much it affected the story, we don't know. And, you know, probably, and, and, but we do know the episode it affected the most would have been that final one where most of it happens outside. For the film's, or sorry, for the series music, uh, it was announced in January 2020 that Christoph Beck uh, would be composing the music for the series. He is uh, he's an MCU alum. He had previously scored Ant-Man and Ant-Man the Wasp. Also, uh, Robert Lopez and Christina Anderson Lopez, they're a married couple that actually did all of the uh, little sitcom intros for each individual episode, and that... It was one of my favorite things. Every Friday was like, "Ooh, here comes the new, the new decade intro." Yeah, uh, and they're always a good time. They're very famous in their own right. They did Frozen, all the music for Coco. Um, also, also uh, Robert Lopez did the Book of Mormon. Like, so they they're kind of legends in the uh, the musical sphere. Uh, they, they they obviously they they they, um, they worked with Christoph Beck, who did the Frozen film. So. So the show eventually premiered on January 15th on Disney+. Plus. Uh, it had a two-episode premiere, uh, and then each subsequent episode uh, came out on the next Friday and with, with a finale premiering on uh, March 5th. All right, so the first episode is called Filmed Before a Live Studio Audience. All episodes were directed by Matt Shackman. This one was written by Jack Schaefer, and also all episodes were shot by Jess Hall. So the synopsis goeth thusly. Wanda envision a delightful newlywed couple uh, who just happen to be a witch and an android live an idyllic 1950s lifestyle, but doom threatens in the form of a scheduled event that neither can remember the details about. Said event turns out to be an important dinner with Vision's uptight boss and his wife, Mr. and Mrs. Hart. Wanda is forced to use her magic to whip up, whip up a meal for her unexpected and demanding guests. Uh, all is going swimmingly until Mr. Hart gets a bit too nosy and almost chokes to death. Vision saves him and the crisis is quickly forgotten. The world is returned to normal uh, and Wanda and Vision settle down for a relaxing evening of television. But then we suddenly cut to a mysterious screen that is watching them as a mysterious hand of a mysterious viewer jots down mysterious notes. Probably Mephisto. I guarantee you it's Mephisto. It's gotta be. All right. So James... The first, the first uh, MCU show, and uh, the the first uh, you know MCU experience since what Spider Man Far From Home a year and a half before that. Yeah. What do you think of this? Man, I loved it. Uh, I went in. So my I had I think my sister had already seen it and said it was really cool. And we were down at my parents. Like most, a lot of the siblings were all over at our parents' house. And so me and some of my sisters and my mom and dad sat down to watch it. And they had, like, they they mostly keep up with the movies and stuff. Um, but they really didn't know anything about it. And so this 
to their surprise when it starts and it's you know it's this very different old school thing um but i like i grew up on tv land and so i my my childhood was spent watching you know the andy griffith show and i love lucy like i i, I i'm pretty familiar with with this format and what i like i knew the conceit of this obviously like anybody online was aware of like what what the the quote-unquote gimmick was but what i my my big fear going into it was that it was going to be using the the style and form of that era but kind of inserting very like modern jokes or kind of poking fun at the area like because I, I feel like i see that a lot where it's like oh isn't it crazy that we blah 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 but like i, I, so... I noticed a bit of that this time around particularly uh i guess like referring to gender roles um in the third episode there was a bit of that kind of winking back at the time it's but it's mostly but it, it is kind of something far between and it's and it's not like here's the here's the explicit joke of the the moment it's i think for the most part it re- like the jokes are cheesy and corny and everybody's like over the top and it's so perfect for the era and i found myself like there were so many jokes from like that's that would have been written like that's that's what they would have come up with in the writers' room and I was I was absolutely loving it. So yeah, I, I we watched both the episodes that night and I I was looking forward to it. like even with my reservations I was very much looking forward to the show but I walked away like incredibly pleased with with what this was with what this was at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my experience with sitcoms is almost exclusive to the Andy Griffith show. That was a family favorite. I've seen most of it. A uh, little bit of Leave it to Beaver, but aside from that... Oh, uh, yeah, Leave it to Beaver. Most of the... Sh- like, I've never seen any I Love Lucy or oh. Dick Van Dyke show or pretty much all of the shows referenced all the way up until The Office. <laughs> I haven't seen any of I You still... You've seen the commercials. You've seen the clips. You've... Like, yeah. I, I, you know, I know the language. So, yeah, going into this, it is... It's a it's crazy, and people talk about the MCU. The, the MCU, they're not trying anything new. There's no risks. They made a TV show that for, for three full episodes is committing to the bit of being a 1950s, 1960s, and 1970s sitcom. What the, what the heck? It's 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 pretty amazing that they did this, and and. You, I'm just so impressed by how authentic it feels for the most part. Just they, all the little tricks they did by making it a, you know, four by three, uh, very square boxy aspect ratio. It makes it look old and small. It does not make things look big, Zack Snyder. Um, <laughs> and just the little techniques, um, the, the, even just the lighting. I think this got period lighting so much more accurate than many modern thing, modern, um, modern films that are trying to look old and black and white. They got that. They they got that look where everything is really brightly lit and all it's all just kind of contrast where, you know, between light and shadows. Um, or in this case, there's not many shadows, but it it, it, it even looked better than a film. The whole set 
It's like it's kind of this flat lighting on the whole set where there's yeah, but 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 it's it's the brightness of bl- yeah. for black and white shooting that there's this unless you're going to complete noir even then like one half of the th- everything is really bright the other half is black like it's it's so they overlid it so much more with black and white because you didn't have the colors to work with that depth, um, but like that look there were a couple times where you can tell I think outside in bright sunlight you can tell you're looking at digital and not film. I kind of wish they either shot on film or degraded the quality just a little bit to make it look like, you know, it's old film, um, which didn't have the, um, you know, the, uh, what's, what's the, didn't, which didn't have the resolution that, that modern, you know, 4k yeah. cameras have. Um, but things like that, the, the acting is big, the accents, the mannerisms, they got the kind of the transatlantic accent going on in this first one. <laughs> yes. Um, Every, everything just the, the the tripping and whoa yeah like every yeah they got like also the, the 50s one is like the the sepia tone brown look whereas the 60s one is much more you know black, flat flat black and white like they did the work the orchestra like it's a tiny orchestra with a couple instruments <laughs> and the that. bouncy playful music where every single everything is underlined every movement and joke and gag is underlined by music like they got it right and for a lot of people, they're like, "What am I watching? I'm I'm here for the MCU. Why am I watching this? You know, this this old sitcom." I remember people throwing the term "boring" a lot, but yeah. I don't know. For me, I just I love I love Elizabeth Olsen. I love Paul Bettany, and watching because they're not really Wanda and Vision as we know them in this show. They're more they're well, they're 1950s caricatures. But I love these actors and watching them do the shtick and do the thing and commit to it and have fun. While also the the brooding mystery is always kind of peeking in the edges, I like I had no problem at all with these first first three episodes. I didn't either. I I absolutely loved it, and I did have the thought, especially by the end of the second episode, and I realized, oh, they've completely committed to this. Was what what is everybody else going to think? Because <laughs> like with these jokes, what I find with these jokes is I. I'm I'm almost more laughing, at, not in a condescending way, but like the the jokes themselves aren't always funny. But it's like, it's the fact that like yeah, that is the joke that they would have had, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm kind of laughing with the the quaintness of it. Like it's it becomes funny somehow. Yeah, it gets funnier. I think the longer it goes, the more into you just you kind yeah. of just like get into the time period. Exactly. Like my entire sense of humor shifts, and before you know it, like I'm 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 in the fifties, and I'm like, oh yes, this is what comedy is. I love this, and like you know the the windows opening up and everything's floating, and I'm like, oh no, they're gonna. See. It's just it's you just you feel you feel fun, and I, at least for me, I felt I was like, man, this is just a good time, uh, and yeah, I love. I love watching these actors fully commit. It's why it was it was so refreshing that they they really do commit to the tone and humor of the era, and they don't try to just use it as like like I said, just use the form. Because it, it's really fun watching uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany like as if they were nineteen fifties TV stars, and like you know the the trying to figure out what is this hard on. They're both trying trying to feign you know, knowledge about what it is. Like, it's just, it's, it's good times. The conflict is so adorable <laughs> and small and meaningless. It's like, oh, maybe, <laughs> you talk about, you know, each one has to pretend they know what it means. They can't, and it, it, it's all, 
It's all just m- tiny, mis- insignificant misunderstandings, <laughs> but it's all blown out of proportion. And, <laughs> and it's, it's like, n- and nothing happens. Like at the end of every episode, everything is resolved for no reason at all. He's offered a promotion. The conflict of the episode is, oh no, we've got our bosses over for a dinner. What are we going to do? Like it's, Oh no, she thinks they're gonna have a romantic night. And that's oh, how and by the time that that joke is made, it's hilarious. Uh-huh. Um Yeah, and another person we have to mention, Catherine Hahn. <laughs> <laughs> I swear she was transported in from the 1950s. Her performance as the, the the nosy neighbor is who just walks in any time of the day, doesn't care. <laughs> it's just so big and fun and ridiculous. And it's just so much fun to watch. Oh, my mother-in-law was in town, so I wasn't. <laughs> uh, and and then all the side characters, like the boss, I like you could not tell me that he is not from that time period. <laughs> then there was that embarrassing display of beatnik enthusiasm. I wore a turtleneck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the uh, traditional uh, Sokovian Soko- greedy of hospitality. We don't break bread with Bolsheviks. <laughs> Those, they really are, like, the lines are clever. I'm just stealing a joke I see from your notes. It's the one that, like, maybe made me the la- made me laugh the most. You're like a walking computer. What? No, I most certainly am not. <laughs> it's it's just... And again, the the joke is even funnier with the... Big, loud, 50s delivery. Oh, Paul Bendy is so good at that. Uh, and then, like, even at, like, he, I love that they they play on the trope of the husband having a meaningless corporate job where they're just doing whatever spreadsheets that are for, you know, for delivery of what? I don't care. It's like, it's so meaningless. But he's push he's poking at that. What are we doing at this job? It, you know, he's poking at the edges of, of this reality because he, he's he's figuring out something is wrong. So they're, they're using the actual tropes of 50s television to as character, you know, as, as character motivation for Vision as he's slowly just finding like little oddities in the world around him. And then moving to the dinner itself, they immediately run into trouble where <laughs> they can't answer any of the traditional dinner small talk. Like, where are you from? When did you get married? And will you, will you have kids? Um, that kind of thing, stuff. Um, like, they can't even answer the questions. And the guests start to break. Like, you know, he's like, you know, why, damn it, why? And does he actually swear? He does, which is which is weird. I, I noticed that. You couldn't do that. But, but, well, I'm going to get to that. But, I, I, you know, it, I, it's like... It's it, you know, it's these these mind controlled victims. They have a chance in script to ask the questions and to you know yeah. why are you doing this to us? And then when he starts choking, I mean maybe before I think actually before he starts choking, when he's like slamming his fist on the table and uh, demanding answers, the cinematic style changes. Before yeah. then, it's all been like the studio cameras, which are all from the edge, usually wide shots, multi camera, where it's just like basic coverage of a wide shot and a close-up both running at the same time and this actually turns like a single camera thing where each character has their you know their close-up it's well lit and there's like dolly movements it's it's a much more involved cinematic style the lighting goes down like it actually turns into moody noirish lighting um 
and the whole reality just starts to, to, to you know, seize up. Oh, the smile on a Debra, Debra Jo Rupp's face as she's repeating, you know, stop it, stop yeah, that it. freaked me out. And the way she turns to to Wanda and just stop it, stop it. Like, it's, 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 it's a, uh, this big, happy smile, but this desperate plea to be released from this fantasy she has she has all of them in and then once the crisis is over he saves him the lighting like it, it's like a shot from like this moody noir lighting to the the, the and is an edit and it's bright again the camera's back and wide again it's, it's it's so well done the way they just play with the format to instantly just put you on edge like so, this is this is different the 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 lighting's different the cinematic style's different and then as soon as the crisis is over you know, nor normal nor uh, normality is restored, and we're back to the um to the sitcom style. Yeah, I, there was a mo during that moment was was kind of like throwing glances over at my parents, I'm like what are what are they thinking it was? Because at this point, it's just been full on dedicated to to this thing, and like I said, they have absolutely no idea what's going on. And then I thought, like, what is what is the world thinking of this? <laughs> and that's that's whenever like it really started igniting what uh, what Michael in the comments said. It's like. Oh yeah, I get to talk to people about this. Like, what's what does this scene mean? You know, because it really it really is like they. I, whenever the episode ends and it's not addressed, I'm like, I got excited to be back into a show full of intrigue and stuff. Yeah, and I know a lot of people complained about this show in these first couple weeks. You know, it's boring. You know, what what's going on? And I I, I think. Part of this is Netflix Netflix and Amazon Prime have trained us to expect shows to be released, you know, all a season released all at once so we can binge it in a night or two. Um, and so we're not really used to high profile must-see shows being released week to week. It happens occasionally. HBO, Game of Thrones is still doing that. But I, I feel like pe people have lost, lost a lot of patience. And I get it. It's never fun to be watching a show that you don't understand. Um, and the feeling like people are, it's, they're, they're not, they're not willing to give the sh a show the time of day. And, and a lot of that is also just, there's so much to watch. There's just, there's so much options. So if a show isn't grabbing you right away, you don't know whether to stick with it. Um, but I think the show is brilliant in how it gives us an authentic episode with, the, with you know a, a, an authentic period plot, this you know, the same kind of conflict resolution. You know it, it begins and ends like the way they would, but with those little touches of intrigue throughout, to where something is definitely wrong, and they're definitely guiding us towards something. Like when you watch this show, it doesn't it does not feel like you're watching a directionless show where they're just throwing things at the wall. Like you, there there's a mystery. There's a lot of questions. You don't know what truly know what's going on, but for me at least, it felt like you're being you're being taken on a journey, and they are definitely going somewhere. It's, it all felt at least consistent, and and uh, and propulsive, even while it was still you know playing along with it with the period. It, it never felt confused or as if the show itself didn't know what was happening, even if I didn't. Yeah, yeah, that that idea that it to me it definitely never felt aimless. And I don't know if my just kind of affection for that era of TV is what satisfied me enough to just accept the little tidbits episode by episode. But for me, all I ever, like that little 
the little break at the table was all I ever wanted. You know, that's that's all you need to give me this first one. I'm happy to just eat everything else up and then that there there's your hook. I'm back next week. And let's be honest, it's not like they play they, they uh, pulled us along for all that long. It was the end of the third episode. We got half of the answers. I, I, I think it, I think that is where the impa- to the impatience of a lot of audiences today really come in. Like they were giving us answers every episode. By the end of the third episode, they broke the walls open. It's like, come on, you, it's, they weren't. Is this show is not all that hard to follow as far as like it's. And and the thing is, like, it really kind of highlights my issue with the way a lot of modern audiences approach this, which is these shows and movies are just these vehicles of information. You know, I show up, you, you dump some lore on this episode so that I know new things. Like, no, we, we show up because we like these characters and we like the just the filmmaking itself. And Well, like, I, I, to, to be a bit more fair on the audience. I think there there's a difference between a mini series and a television show. And th- this, this show in particular, I think kind of, it, it doesn't, it doesn't fit into either one of those in particular. It's more mini series, but it, it's playing with a episodic format where when you're doing a mini series, you're, I'm here for this story. You know, at the end of each episode, you know, leads directly into the next one. It's all just one long story. Whereas like a, an episodic television show is, you know, 22 episodes, each one entirely independent. And so I think there is, I think uh, Disney Plus in particular is pushing the limits of that with these shorter seasons with like The Mandalorian. Because like, Netflix has trained us away from the episodic format because most, almost all of Netflix's shows are are just the season they play like miniseries where each season is one story there's no like the breaks between episodes are almost insignificant um it's just everything plays and it's all cliffhangers so it's i think people were they didn't really know is this is this a tv show is this a miniseries it's play it it was playing much more like well then watch till the end yeah um so i i i kind of understand like there's a, a confusion in how netflix has trained us to watch things i'm I'm sympathetic to the confusion i'm not sympathetic to the another filler episode for wandavit like (laughs) nobody you're not cool go away (laughs) yes i agree i agree with that um so another thing they're doing is each episode has a commercial um and all the commercials have you know uh, a man and a woman and they the same actors actors are the same actors play the, those uh, the two characters in the commercial through all the all of them. Um, so in this one, it is the Toastmate 2000 by Stark Industries. Um, I'm curious. I wonder, I wonder. Do you know in MCU lore, did her parents die in 2000? Is that? Uh, I'm not sure. We get the blinking the blinking red light, like the only bit of color in the episode. And I'm thinking back to uh, the episode. Um, I think it's called the episode, the, essentially where it's flashbacks, where she goes back in her mind and visits traumatic periods in her life. I think, and that's the red light on the rocket that crashes into their home. I believe that's the same. Um, and the other tagline is forget the past. This is your future. Yeah. I again, whenever, whenever I saw this, it was another one of those moments of like, this is, 
the bit is that they they committed to the commercial. Like it's so it's so right. Uh and like it became fun to like you know keep your eyes out for the for the the MCU connection. Uh and it was like 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 we're saying talking about little bits of information the the fact that like we we have these commercials with outside lore like relevant to her life there it all it was like it's it's the immediate fun of it but with a little bit of a what's going on here why why is that there like how why is this in the commercial and yeah it's pretty cool yeah in the end i don't think they're all that relevant aside from just kind of poking at the reality and like giving little easter eggs for fans to you know something is clearly wrong and in out of order here i i heard that whenever Doctor Strange was on the table for inclusion, the explanation was going to be he was interjecting with the commercials. I don't know how much sense that would have made, like they would have had that make there. But as everything stands, I mean, the episodes themselves aren't necessarily like that. It's it's a week to week plot. Like, like there's, there's no real relevance in, and I know you're not, I don't really think you're you're meaning this as a criticism but like it's like there's there's no relevance to the overarching story of like oh our boss is kind of like each plot is so weird and specific to just like dedicate 30 seconds to these uh i, I would simply mean i i don't think it, i don't think like each episode this is a it's more it's an observation not a criticism it's not that like where i think when you're watching you're you're like okay what does this commercial mean what's the deeper meaning oh right which i, I don't yeah. think that was there I wasn't, I was, it was the idea that there were commercials and Mm, that there was not that each one came with its own meaning, but the fact that there are commercials with information that is specifically tied to her life outside of WandaVision was like, how, how, what's the source of these? It was just, it was one more thing to kind of scratch your head at, which I really liked doing. And the, the final shot, it's, I think it's it's why this show works. You know, it's a silly sitcom, but I I believe in this couple. They really love each other. I love them. It's so it's really sweet when they're sitting down together, turning on the TV to have their their quiet evening together as a couple. I I, I love these people. It's it's so adorable. Yeah, I kind of want just a just another alt. If we're doing like alt Loki, let's let's find some universe out there with alt Wanda and Vision <laughs> and just do this whole series. Yeah. So for the next episode, episode two, we have Don't Touch That Dial, and this one was written by Gretchen Enders. And it's Wanda and Vision, now in an idyllic 1960s life, are woken in the night by strange noises. They contemplate investigating, but opt for something that definitely can't be shown on a classic sitcom instead. The next day, they prepare their magic act for the community talent show benefit for the children. Vision then attends the local neighborhood watch meeting where he accidentally swallows some gum, uh, and these gum kind of gets caught up in all of his inner machinery. Uh, this nearly spells disaster for the couple's magic act. Uh, as I it... didn't even intend for spells to be there as a double entendre, but hey, I'm secretly genius. <laughs> there you go. Um as it kind of he getting the getting all of his cogs uh jammed up 
kind of makes him inebriated, which I thought was an incredible gag. <laughs> uh, but Wanda saves the show with some tactical usage of her own magic to disguise his uh, his powers as uh, just typical um, magic show trickery. Back at home, Wanda realizes that she is suddenly several months pregnant, but their rejoicing is interrupted by a mysterious beekeeper rising from the sewers. Wanda doesn't approve and rewinds time to erase the interruption. The happy couple then find their world turning to technicolor around them. Yeah, so we are still in black and white and still in 4x3, uh, but it's a, it's a little cleaner looking without the uh, the slight sepia tone. And it's pretty much another very low stakes sitcom plot. I guess like you can feel the stakes heightening a little bit each episode. Now they're putting on a show, which you know, that, you know no, no one wants to be embarrassed in front of a crowd, but it's still, it's still <laughs> very small. And just the like, more period accurate things. You have the separate beds. Uh, <laughs> I love that gag. Like they pull them together. Yeah, they pull them together. Oh. Yeah. Um, so that's how the babies came later. Huh. Uh, the, the the crew sixties so animation opening credits and the way that division yeah and the the way his uh, his innards are anim- animated with the gum and all that I love that effect like too much that I should just watching it with that old old school kind of jumpy animation with it coming oh man how neat yeah and I love that you have two real magicians putting on a fake magic show <laughs> is the plot of this episode I had. Way too much fun with this finale. Like, <laughs> this is, you know, like we said in the first episode, you slowly kind of lose yourself in the the fifties humor and it just in the magic and charm of the era. So by this point, I'm all like I'm completely bought into it. Like whenever Vision is hiding under the covers because of the sound, I'm like, ha, this is comedy. I love this. Whenever we get to like this finale and. And he is up there, you know, all drunk-like. And the constant having to to say things in the final act with his big physical bits and stuff. I was, I felt like, you know, my dad uh, was a good bit older. Like, a lot of these shows are kind of like, especially with 1960s, he really, he watched these as like, as a kid. And so I felt... Like I was basically just channeling my dad. Like, oh, this is great! I see why you love this. How, how funny! It, that that whole final bit was just so great to me. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, they, 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 she goes and has a um. They each go to their own community meetings. Uh, Wanda's meeting is the uh. What 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 are they? That some kind of uh society for I don't know neighborly doziness or something. <laughs> Uh, run by uh, Emma Caulfield, uh, who I know as uh, Anya the Vengeance Demon from Buffy. Um, she's a lot of fun there. Uh, she she was the lead in the the first film that uh, Jack Schaefer made before all her Marvel stuff. So that's how she, probably how she got in. So you know, they have their, their boring little meeting. Uh, that This is where we get introduced to uh, uh, Teona Paris as Monica Rambeau. Um, her first line is, you know, I don't know what I'm doing here. Which might, might might be important later. <laughs> Another line from um from I think uh, I think Emma Coffee. I forget what her character na- her character's name Dottie. is. Dottie. She says, you know, the devil's in the details, and uh, and a- Agnes leans over. That's not the only place he is, and th- that's probably where all the Mephisto stuff came from. Um, straight up teasing us, but <laughs> still confirming it in my mind. And all of this is for the children, for the children. <laughs> 
And, and then we get the really creepy moment where, you know, uh, uh, Dottie comes, like she's kind of confronting, you know, I've heard things about you, you and your husband. Well, I don't know what you've heard. What, I, what I, Well, I don't know what you've been told, but I assure you, I mean you no harm. I don't believe you. Um, and then the, the Jimmy Woo's voice starts breaking over the radio and it, it like breaks through Dottie's programming. Um, and she goes like, who are you? It cracks the glass and the blood is red. Um, mm. It's again, you know, changing the format, just getting really creepy. And then it stops and everyone's back to normal. It's like <laughs> they pull that trick several times here. And it honestly never gets old. And I, I might forget to talk about it in, in the uh, for, the fourth episode, but I love that when we start getting out when we start watching the broadcast how these moments are all cut yeah. out like really sloppily censored and then flash you over to the neighborhood watch <laughs> i love this <laughs> i too have some top secret gossip to share no i'm here's a communist <laughs> oh, see another audible laugh from me it was so good and then this slow laugh from everybody paul bandy's delivery is so good and then when he turns into drunk vision after eating the gum i just it's it's pure bliss me and the boys were playing a thrilling game of horses with shoes horses shoes <laughs> and then a fake horse walks by hey i was just playing with his shoes <laughs> that part killed me so good uh, he, like to me in in a weird way this is a lot of this is what you put on like an actor's reel because it's this kind of stuff that really does separate an absolute, like, incredible performer from just, you know, passable actors and stuff. Because it works so So much of this could have been just exceptionally cringeworthy. But his delivery is just, like, finely tuned to that just that right spot where it's like, not only is it not cringe, but it's, for me, it's hilarious. It's just every delivery. You know, Today we will lie to you, and yet you will believe our little deceptions. Because human beings are easily fooled due to the limited understanding of the inner workings of the universe. Flourish! <laughs> every time he does the flourish, it is just so funny. Yeah, and there's there's bits throughout the... I mean, we kind of already talked about why just the, the idea of this finale works. It's like, it's a superpower being with basically magical abilities and then an actual like witch and they're having to put on a fake magic show to make it look and then she's having to cover up for for him just like who's not trying not trying to disguise any of it and like and then the way the visuals play with it, like when you the the transition between the powers to the the reveal of like oh this is how they're actually doing it like it's all it's really creatively done is that how mirrors work <laughs> shut up bev <laughs> that was my grandmother's piano oh, another great line uh the, uh, my favorite my favorite is you know hey that's my card well pardon me herb have it back it's so good <laughs> so just the whole thing absolutely delightful and of course they win because that's how uh that's how these shows work. Then we go to the end, and uh, they're you know they're all happy, and they discover she's pregnant, and then the beekeeper comes out, and holy crap, does that seem creepy? Yeah, <laughs> why are bees so creepy? I don't know, man. I think it's just divorced from any sort of context. That image is just freaky. 
And Wanda's just simple. No. And she rewinds the program back to the previous moment. Um, and to you know, the rejoicing over the pregnancy. And, and uh, she asks Vision, you know, is this really happening? Like she, even she knows that this isn't real. That's where I really, really started to love. Like I, I was already loving just the moment to moment of the show. That's where I was really, really loving the idea of what this show was was whenever it became clear that she is at least an active participant in what's going on, that she can look at it and say no and and rewind it, and that she is involved in this. I'm like, okay, they really are going with like grief and denial. Like this is this is what I was hoping they would do with the show. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I got hyped. So this episode, uh, the commercial is the Strucker watch. Strucker, he'll make time <laughs> for you. It looks like a cool watch too. Mm, but it has the Hydra symbol right on the face of it. That's dope. Not terribly subtle. All right, so next episode is now in color. This one was written by Megan McDonald. So um, Wanda and Vision are rather flummoxed by this unexpected pregnancy, uh, but quickly catch the baby bug as they prepare their home for the new arrival. Uh, but Wanda's pregnancy continues its reckless pace and she goes into labor, Vision rushes for the doctor, but it's their neighbor, Geraldine, who arrives and helps Wanda with the delivery. Vision and the doctor return just in time for the second baby's arrival. Later, Geraldine lets slip some knowledge that her 60s self should not have known, so Wanda chucks her out of the reality uh, and returns to her perfect life with her dead android husband. Oh, there's an image in this one. Mm. Which which I I, kind of noticed that, because he's out, you have a wanda in the foreground and he's like out of focus in the background but i could tell that his face was great like oh is he dead and then when the flash happened so it didn't scare me i was expecting it but oh, apparently well, got a lot let me of tell time. you what it made me jump <laughs> it's it's like it's good um but i i love the 70s intro the, the music the music is so good each one just feels so right for the yeah. time period those the beautiful graphics of everything the, the the flipping t- uh, transitions. Um, so this is the cringy old timey pregnancy <laughs> episode, which are this is this is this is pretty much how they did it. They're, they're just ridiculous. Uh, the, the the gag of they didn't realize they have twins. They wanted to give birth to one of them. Like oh no, something's coming. Like that actually happened uh, in an episode of Little House on the Prairie. That was like the eighties <laughs> or something. Maybe seventies. Listen, this is like, a tried and true trope. That's. Uh, you wouldn't feel another human being inside nope, your body. Nope, oh. Don't question it. Don't question it. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, so like as she's like going into, you know, going into labor, the contractions of these accidental bursts of magic and the rain from when her water breaks, like it, all that's really well done. <laughs> like she that, kills the power of the neighborhood and Don's like, Phil, do these earrings make me look fat? And the lights go out. And he like looks at the camera like Jim from the office. Oh, thank God. <laughs> That that part when this episode was done, I was like, this nobody better like pretend that they can't enjoy this shit. Like that that line is hilarious. Everything from Phil, all of Phil's like pathetic little one liners are so good. But also in this episode, you have Vision. He's starting to um kind of put together like things are weird, and like he you know he goes and he says, like, I think something's wrong here, Wanda. And then he just like skips back to the end of the conversation or to the beginning of the conversation and it plays through and he says something more normal according to Wanda's liking. And it it's done in a way that feels like the disc skipping. 
Like when I first did, I had to rewind, like skip back ten seconds. Like, did I miss something? I I just love how it's done. It just feels like something went wrong. You don't know what, um, and you almost you almost get the feel like did I did I did, did my thing you know my player mess up? We also get some like a some kind of um Truman Show stuff. Yep, I definitely like the the inability to to actually mm-hmm. leave. I definitely got that. Yeah, like they're about, they're about to like, we're just about to go. You know, uh, Tahiti awaits, and my car breaks down. And then after the birth, when he brings them back, it's like, I don't think we'll get away. You know, small towns so hard to escape. Mm. Hold on to these nuggets, audience. Just they're, they're going somewhere. It's cool. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's how I felt reading all of the the stuff. I'm like, nah, there's they're being really cool about it. We're, we're peeling th- we're peeling this back because what I what I really liked. Because I, I didn't really know what to make of of the village. Like, I didn't know if are these real people, are these all fabricated and stuff. But like, you with this episode, you really get you you really start to get the sense that there is some entrapment going on here. And what was it that tipped you off, Norma? Cutting through the wall with the head strip. Head well, trimmers? it's subtle things like that that don't get by me. This one, uh, Geraldine, kind of becomes a. a- much larger character and Tana Paris's seventies acting is just so good. It's she it's comes in there delightful. with just the the big hair and this like amazing, loud, very very loud costume and just kind of going through all the whole story about the office and you have the gag of oh the neighbor's here we're trying to hide something and she's not noticing and we need her to leave and all that stuff. I've seen that conflict. In more episodes than I can count, of the let's loudly shout about something over there so that you don't notice the animal that's behind you, <laughs> and it it's great every time. Yeah, also, but there's a moment where the stork makes a noise and it scares her out of her period acting. I just kind of goes into like a modern like, what was that? Like actually, she just feels like a no- normal acting, but then she snaps back and she's near Geraldine from the seventies again. Then the babies are born, um, and it's. It's really adorable and sweet. You know, don't you want to meet your son as yourself? And he goes back to his robot face or his vision face. Uh, and again, it's all silly sitcom stuff, but then they got to get us with this beautiful family and these characters that we actually love. Then we go afterwards and stuff gets creepy again. I feel like with Wanda, with, you know, with her new, her, her babies and she just starts almost like reverting out of seven her 70s sitcom self into Wanda. Like she's having like so much happiness at the moment where she's talking about, you know, I was a twin. His, I had a brother. His name was Pietro. And she starts singing the Sokovian lullaby. And that I guess like that bit of unscripted dialogue breaks Geraldine's program. And she's, you know, he was killed by Ultron. And lo- everything stops. And Wanda turns around like, what did you say? And she's freaking terrifying in that moment you know who are you and she can't even answer and i mean we don't actually see what happened till next episode but then the ending on who are you and and, uh, and geraldine is just stammering and wanda comes back oh she left honey she had to rush home uh and she's got this creepy smile and she's looking over her babies Ugh. cool stuff cool stuff uh then it expands to widescreen and uh, Monica is hurled out of the hex and we see the, the military compound and now it's starting to feel like so, something from Marvel again. Like I get it. They were starting to lose audiences, but I almost wish they could have held on to the uh, to the uh, sitcom aesthetic. They do, but they 
from this point on, they're kind of constantly cutting back and forth to the inside and outside. But I almost wish they could have held on for an episode or two longer as they go through the 80s and all that. I mean, I again, because of the commitment, I love that all. And I would absolutely, if we're doing all these what ifs and stuff, let's let's just throw one, if, if, if for no one else, just for me. Yeah. So the commercial for this episode was um, the Hydra Soak. You know, escape, escape to a world all your own where your problems float away. Find the goddess within. Which that last line seems like something that was put in, was uh, written in by uh, Agatha. <laughs> I love all those, like, those little bitty hints at, at the reality of what's going on in the commercials. It's cool. Mm-hmm. So for the next episode, uh, this is the fourth one, We Interrupt This Program. This one was written by uh, Babak S. Farjani uh, and Megan McDonald. Uh, the show now moves outside of Wanda's idyllic world uh, and into our, our own real world with uh, Monica Rambo, a.k.a. Geraldine. Uh, and it is really, really great opening scene. Uh, she, you know, it, it's everybody coming back from the snap, just undusting and finds the world in chaos um, and found, uh, finds out that her mother is dead or had died of cancer two years prior. She soon returns to work and is assigned to help the magical agent uh, Jimmy Wu uh, with a missing persons case that quickly escalates into an entire missing town. Monica is sucked into the anomaly and S.W.O.R.D. opens a massive investigation. Darcy Lewis is called in with other experts from various fields to assist. She discovers an old-timey broadcast signal. Uh, she discovers an old-timey broadcast signal sending out the broadcast version of WandaVision, uh, basically the the show that we've been watching up to this point. Uh, the investigation continues and we see the outside view of various moments from the previous episodes. And I love stuff like that. Uh, we end the episode with Monica being expelled from the hex and Wanda restoring order to her world. Um, even rewinding time to avoid Vision's growing concerns and questions. You know what I just said about wishing that this show stayed as a sitcom <laughs> for longer? I'm doubting that now because I, I also love the trope of the, you know, the show opening with a mystery. Then like two or three episodes in, we'll have the episode that kind of shows everything from a different perspective and explains everything. I love this as well. So <laughs> I don't know what I want, James. <laughs> um, but yeah, this episode is great, mainly because of uh, Jimmy Woo and uh, Darcy. Um, but first, let's talk about that opening scene because it's kind of incredible. Um, the, just the undusting effect is really cool. Uh, but then the pure chaos as half of the wor- people in the world reappearing. Uh, and she's walking around. The camera's just like really this you know, loose handheld just swirling around her. People are running and yelling and bumping into each other and falling down. And she's trying to feel like, where's my mother? I was just I was just sitting next to her. She was going into remission from chemo. Um, it's just so disturbing and and heartbreaking at the end, we actually find out what happened to to uh, Maria Rambo, but it's so well done. Yeah, so I, for some reason, I just naturally gravitate to anything that even resembles like disaster movies, mm. and I I was really like it was it was almost like a the the Spielberg War of the Worlds dusting of just like. There's chaos around you. Like, obviously, it's reversed because they're getting blasted into dust in in the, the War of the Worlds. But just this mass panic, mass hysteria. Nobody really knows what's going on. People are running around. It's 
Like, <laughs> I find that, like, cinematically super compelling. And so when this starts and you're just seeing everybody freaking out about what's happening and the effect itself is super cool, like, I, I was... I, I almost was a little bit bummed at the last episode. I'm like, oh, no, reality. I don't want to see guns and trucks and helicopters. No, I was loving all this. But this opening was fantastic. So I was like, okay, maybe we can do this. This is really neat. The The only issue I have, and this is because I, I always have the same dumb complaint with continuity. It it looks very different from the, the re-blipping in Far From Home. <laughs> but better, so... I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, more, visually more interesting, sure, but the the re blipping thing in Far From Home killed me. Just whatever they, <laughs> the, the whole band appears in the middle of the basketball court, like that is hilarious. Yeah. So we go and we we we're introduced to Sword, which is, as I understand it, Space Shield in the comics. Yeah. Um, which it seems to be what they were pre the snap. Like it's, I like the way there's not a lot of exposition. Here. Like it's kind of like he's reintroducing her. So it's also assuming she knows what's happening as well. It feels very lived in as she's going with Hayward through the facility. But as I understand it, Hayward seemed to have grounded sword after the snap and is now focusing yeah. on defense rather than exploration. Um, and he seems kind of nice here. Later on, like <laughs> later on in the episode, he turns into the evil Hayward we all know and hate. Um, but she's, you know, he sends her off on a, on a, a, some grunt work because she's been grounded and we go and we meet up again with, uh, Agent Jimmy Woo. It's, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a meme. It's a gif. Everyone loves it. But him with the close up <laughs> magic, this, this kind of character continuity and just for a little gag, but taking you know that little, that, that gag from Ant-Man and the Wasp and carrying it over. It it just makes me so happy, but also just because Wu was just an adorable person. Is there, I remember, I think we even talked about this, about this on the Ant-Man and the Wasp episode. I I had mixed feelings on him in Ant-Man and the Wasp, but it was hard to like vocalize because not all of the jokes landed for me. Like there was sometimes I'm like, I don't know, this just isn't this isn't funny, but. I also... I'm also a youth pastor. <laughs> See, that one was funny to me. Uh, but, like, the whole pause, and like, like, a lot, a lot. I'm like, oh, you're an FBI agent. Just get up there. Um, <laughs> but his there's just something about, like, his persona and this, just this vibe that he has that I'm like... I also like I I'm not gonna say that I don't like you because I just... I really... I really like you. Like, there is something fun and funny about your presence. And I I absolutely just loved him here. Like, uh-huh. he's he's such a, I don't know, he's so immediately likable. I, I kind of want him to be the next Phil Coulson. Like, we, if we have that. to have a bureaucrat in various movies. Uh, gonna, fill that Phil Coulson attacked, Like, he and Martin Freeman have their own little side movie. <laughs> I, I don't think Martin Freeman would tolerate him. <laughs> That's the shtick. It's a great buddy FBI cop thingy. No, but the buddy FBI, uh, you know, procedural has to be Agent Wynn Darcy. Well, throw her in there. She she'll be the the Simon Pegg of Mission Impossible. Like with Mission Impossible, it'll just create an ensemble out of this. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, we bring back Darcy as well. Uh, like I love her in the first Thor movie. I. 
don't like her that much in uh, the Dark World, but I love her again here. And it's crazy. Like it's been ten. It was ten years since her introduction in um in a Thor, and like six years since she was in uh in the Dark World. And I that's one thing I love about the MCU is that anyone can come back at any time. Like yeah. you know, uh, William Hurt from uh yeah. from the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, let's make him one of the antagonists in Civil War. Like it's. You could just bring these characters back and, and kind of use them at you know, the way they were, but a little differently. But it, and it usually makes sense. How lived in, yeah. cohesive, and just like it, re- it rewards you for you know watching these movies again and again. Yeah, and I, I mean, we we had an episode just praising it. I freaking adore Thor one, and I yes. I, I don't even mind her in the Dark World, but like just the the di- the group dynamic in thor with her and uh and jane and selvig and thor like it's enter taser enter ta- like it's just <laughs> yes i did <laughs> it's just incredible it's so much fun that i i probably you know i may have watched thor one more than any other mcu movie i i watched that like almost every single night for a bit in college uh but anyways in like I think because Thor 1 was 10 years ago and like I you know I was born like kind of a a kid you know when when Thor 1 came out having her back in it and just like just effortlessly falling back into the the Darcy character was almost like this kind of warm blood like especially because I have such you know f- fond feelings for Thor 1 and every like just the the vibe of that and the humor of that I was like, ah, this is this just feels right. And, I'm back home. And she's, and she's like, she's now the Jane Foster, respected astrophysicist <laughs> character. And I like, oh. I like that presentation of her, where it's like, she is. They they don't sacrifice what's fun about the character, but they also allow her to be her own formidable intellect and and take command of that. Like it's a, it's a it's the right evolution for the character. I thought. Uh, uh, let's see with her in the truck. You know, what's your field? We're not supposed to talk to each other. Boy Scout leader, <laughs> got it. And then after they go all, all go around, I'm a chemical engineer. Yeah, no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> she gets into the base. You, know, what kind of data are you getting? I'm afraid that's classified, so you can't see anything. Okay. <laughs> she like she she's already dealt with Shield. She knows the game, and she just doesn't care. There's there's just so much like adorable scenes between her and Darcy. Like I would. I would kill to see more of these characters yeah. together. <laughs> what a what a kick in the teeth it'd be if they created a shield show with Jimmy Woo and Darcy and stuff. <laughs> That'd be funny. Uh, well, you know, Phil Coulson got seven seasons. You know, yeah, he's not dying for work. Um, but just as it goes, and they're, they're figuring out what's going on, and they're falling in love with the show and they're, they have the, the big, you know, the board of all the, all the, um, the cast members and their, you know, their real identities and another whiteboard of theories, of, which are essentially the same fan theories that the fans are doing. It, it's so clever how like they put all the, the, the um, FBI sword investigative team kind of in the same shoes as the audience. And they're having all the same conversations that we had for the first two episodes, the three episodes of the show, uh, it's just a lot of fun. And the characters are so great. Um, even Hayward, who is just 
a wonderful ass <laughs> to, to everyone. It's just a great, a great, you know, soft antagonist, at least for now. <laughs> so, you know, someone, someone must, he was talking to Jimmy Wu. Um, someone must really miss you back at Quantico. No, sir. Softball season's over there. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, this man, I became a full on Jimmy Wu stan after this one. Yeah. <laughs> It's the, the way they're playing with the, the 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 lingo, you know, like, oh, Monica's talking to Wando. She's got a speaking part now. <laughs> you know, Wando's with another character. A real person, you mean? <laughs> that line is so good. And then later on, we're just it's just uh, Darcy and Rue chilling and watching the show. <laughs> it's another great line. I can't believe Wanda and Vision are having a baby. Wanda and he's offering the chips. Heck, I thought about it for sure, you know. Little Jimmy Woo. <laughs> Get a little bad. Oh, oh, you with the chips. Okay. <laughs> that That's what's like, what's so funny to me is like, th- this is very much like, this is a lore heavy information, heavy episode. And I, I was like, you know, despite going into it being like, Oh, we've got to throw here. We, we got to break all the cool stuff just to give the MCU fans their guns. Like, ah, whatever. I'm, I'm loving this episode a lot. But <laughs> what I really ended, like my favorite parts were just like, we're just we're just chilling at this desk with with uh Darcy and Jimmy and they're they're guessing like they're talking about being invested in the show now and they're you know they're they're speculating what's going on like they're basically it is a fun moment of them being us like when you when you realize that they've been watching what we've been watching with the exception of the stuff that Wanda censors for them but like you realize that they've been seeing the commercials, they've been seeing the the breaks, all of the like the actual editing and stuff, and then they're like, "Well, what does all this mean? Could this, could she be blah blah blah?" I'm like, "They're us," in like a really fun way. Like we're we're all with these characters, being like, "I don't know what I don't know what the characters don't know. like." We we're all trying to figure it out. It's it's just such a a fun. I don't know. They're they're dynamic together just as. Their, their work within this mission is to watch the show and theorize. It's just a, it's a, a fun part, part of the episode. Yeah. Um, then we get, go back to the ending. I love how the end of the previous episode brought us outside of Wanda's world where you know, the four by three goes into widescreen or, or ultra wide. And then at the end of this episode, we kind of go back in and we see the actual confrontation that was, uh, you know, quote unquote censored between, uh, Wanda and uh, and uh, Monica, and just we get the full on terrifying Scarlet Witch. You know, you're not my neighbor, and you're definitely not my friend. You're a stranger, an outsider. And right now, I want you to leave. It just hurls her through the wall, but but also she's still not a bad person because like you know, she hurled her through several houses and you know, hundreds of feet, even miles outside of the hex. But you also realize that she protected her. Like she didn't allow her to get hurt or injured. And she's not there to hurt anyone. Well, aside from her her cast members. Although, I guess we later, later we're to understand that she didn't actually know they were being injured. But yeah, just the, the, And then after she throws her out, she fixes the wall. And as she fixes the wall, we get, you know, we get back and you know, go from the ultra wide back to the four by three. And order is restored. Except for creepy dead vision. But oh yeah, that's this episode. What can you do? Oof. Ooh, made me jump. I did not notice it beforehand, so it made me jump. <laughs> and there's that final bit of dialogue, you know. 
We, we, don't, we don't have to stay here. We can go wherever we want. No, we can't. You know, this is our home. Are you sure? Don't worry, darling. I have everything under control. Yeah. So I, I remember by, by the end of this episode, you know, when we kind of get back to that, I mean, as a fan of horror, I love that this show made me jump. Um, but we're, we're getting back to that and we're, we're having her, we're hearing her say this and she's becoming more and more active in what's going on and more and more aware of what's going on. Again, I mean, I, I guess I could, I could honestly say this after every, every episode ended, but as soon as, you know, she says this and we, we see how aware she is and how voluntary she is to just, you know, throw Monica out. I was like, okay, when this is done, I'm going on Facebook. I'm seeing what other people think. And we had the whole meme where, like, the greatest villain in the MCU is the to-be-continued title card. <laughs> yes. Like, everyone oh. was into it. Everyone hated when it ended. We all wanted more. They're, they're the kind of memes that almost, they're scary because you feel like somebody was just spying on you and your own conversations. Because like, mm-hmm. I would, like I'd watch it either over at my parents or with my sister or somebody. You know, like it was weird that I was watching these by myself. And so we're watching and, and then it happens. And it's just like this collective like, no, are you kidding me? Every time that title came up. And so, like, we, it just became a joke of, like, yeah, we freaking hate this thing. And then the memes show up of, like, like what you're saying, like, this is, this is what we dread more than anything else. Uh, it's such a, such a fun collective moment. I was realizing, like, I, I love this type of episode so much where it's you know, the, the team going in for some kind of paranormal investigation. Something's weird. We got to figure it out. I should probably go and watch uh, X-Files, I guess, or something like that. I'm, watch I'm sure Fringe. I enjoy it. Watch Fringe. So, Fringe? Fringe is awesome. Maybe. Well, yeah, that would actually, I think I bought the first season a while back. I should I should double down and finally go and watch it. How many seasons are there of that? Uh, five seasons. Five? Yeah. Are they the are they the full 22 episodes or are they shorter? Uh, I'm going blank. I think they may be like the 22 episodes. All right, so that, that's quite the commitment, but uh, I, I definitely have heard good things about it. 100 episodes, so yeah, that would be 22. Five seasons, that would be 20, 20 episodes season but yeah we definitely need to get a show or at least regular appearances from randall park and cat dennings from now on the mcu um they, they can't just tease us with what we got here we need more i do i feel like there's a very you saw it online a lot of just people loving woo and darcy and their dynamic and just like their presence and their jokes and they were just immediately like they were in the memes and stuff surely surely they know we'd watch we'd watch a show like that yeah um so that, that that's all for this episode we'll talk about the critical reception next episode but one thing i do want to talk about here um is what does like shows like this and the mandalorian and falcon the winter soldier like what does that mean for television as a whole and like people the, the meme today like all the film bros are talking about oh you know, the MCU is it's just stale. It's not, it's all just, rep, you know, repeating what they have. They're all super safe. But looking at what the Marvel is doing and what Disney is doing with Disney Plus, with these shows, honestly, it feels like they're kind of, they're expanding the f- landscape of film. They gave us the cinematic universe as we know it, you know, in the 2010s. 
And it looks like in the 2020s, Disney is going to be re redefining or, or at least very much evolving how we watch television. You know, in 2000, you know, the early 2010s, Netflix changed the model. They changed it with the binge model, and that was all the rage for a while. I think now, I think Dis I think Disney Plus is at the forefront of trying to bring back weekly, um, weekly subscriptions now with uh, like The Boys and Invincible. Amazon, they were doing binge for a while, but now they're going back to, you know, to a weekly thing. There was a big controversy with the boys season two was weekly. And a lot of people were complaining about that, but like, I feel, you know, Netflix tried something and they made a huge impact, but I, I think the weaknesses of that model are showing in that they're spending a lot of money for their shows. Their shows are really well produced, but they come out and they're all the rage for that week. Or they bad, or as often as not, they're really badly marketed, and no one watches it at all. Like so, they put all the money. All you get is that week of conversation, even for like a Stranger Things. That's or what I was a, a Daredevil. Imagine, a, get, imagine like, Stranger Things in this format, where we all, where we knew that the episode you were on was the episode I was on. You know, and, yeah, like those were all the rage, and they're as big as movies in that week or maybe two weeks, but then they're they're gone. And but with a show like this, with the Mandalorian. Disney owned the world for two months and the same for this show. Like everyone was, everyone is watching these shows. You go online Friday morning, there's all these posts and there's every single film group. And, and the thing that you really is telling is it's not just the film groups. Like, you know, we're part of a lot of online film forums. Like you have, you have things that are successful in the, the film buff space or that you know, and then you have shows where you know your mom is watching it and all of your normal your, your normal Facebook friends, casuals. they're all posting about how much they love this week's episode. Like, and the, like the Game of Thrones was that, Lost was that, the, Man, the two seasons of The Mandalorian and WandaVision, to a lesser extent, Falcon the Winter Soldier. But these shows are that big and they, they can be that because of the weekly format where it lasts, it lasts from, you know, two months, a month and a half. And the conversation can just grow and grow and build with each episode. So I think Disney is leading the charge to get back to weekly format. But bigger than that is shorter seasons. And this is also something Netflix was experimenting with. But I think they got stuck on a 12 to 13 episode seasons. And this is what this is what this is what absolutely, in my opinion, absolutely killed the MCU Netflix where they started so strong, Daredevil season one, um, Jessica Jones season one, The Punisher season one, um, they, they, they have these masterpieces of seasons, but as they go, or you know, some, even like Luke Cage and Iron Fist in their first season, they have to fill the 13 episodes, and all of them just started to drag, and you felt it. Whereas with Disney+, Plus, they're giving us you know, these 200 million, 150, 200 million dollar shows but it, this one will be six episodes. This one will be eight episodes. The Mandalorian's eight episodes. Like they they make it as long or as short as it needs to be. They put all the effort to make it. You make sure it's peak television. Um, but they they avoid the problem. I think that I think Netflix ran into with 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 with, with serialized television in that if, if you know the one episode doesn't work, it just drags down the entire show. Whereas with a a very a much looser uh, or looser a number of episodes they're able to avoid the, just the massive pitfall that netflix fell into um so I, I think like going forward the landscape of television i think is going to be 
fundamentally changed at least for a decade or so because of what Disney Plus is doing with Star Wars and with Marvel um, by allowing shorter seasons, by going back to weekly um, weekly releases. I think, but now they, they didn't start this. I, like Game of Thrones, like HBO has been doing 10 episode seasons for a while. They've, they've done with Game of Thrones, they've done the big massive budget series. But I think, I think Disney is cementing that as at least for now, the new format of choice going forward. And we're going to get some, like we're getting not quite movie level, but almost their stuff out of Marvel. <laughs> it looks like we're like three or four shows a year at this level going forward. And you know that other studios are going to have to, you know, if they want to compete, they're going to have to go to that level too. And it's like, it's, it's, it's going to change the landscape. Yeah. Years from now, I think streaming sites are going to look different. Uh, and it, with Netflix, with stuff like stranger things, I think they, they already have the content. It's going to be the way it's released. That is going to, to shift. I mean, they're they're making deals with theaters now, so they're changing. Yeah. So and oh man, imagine weekly releases with like a weekly screening at the. <laughs> that'd be insane. I mean, it's well, not weekly releases, but they've TV shows coming to theaters is, is has happened. It's happened before, but I, I know just, Doctor Who did but, some Game of Thrones, <laughs> The Inhumans. <laughs> <laughs> but with with streaming evolving like this and putting such a huge budget in it and with just you know the reopening of theaters kind of being like just the way this is all turning out there there could be different changes that'd be crazy to see like even weekly releases get those debuts the difficulty with that is a lot of theaters hate the idea of day and date releases so they want exclusivity but but things are changing. So yeah. much has changed in the landscape there. It's the, so, the theaters aren't real. I don't. I don't feel like the theaters are are now the ones in position to to say that. Or maybe I don't know. Yeah, um, which which is why why they're probably getting you know they're they're able to bow to Netflix's day and date yeah. releases and allow some of them in. But yeah, like that that the season finale of Wandavision that would have brought not not like. Uh, not hundreds of millions of dollars, but it would have brought in some money. I would have gone to the theater and yeah. seen that. Or an episode of uh, Mando. I would have gone with my parents. <laughs> like We would have had the whole yeah, family imagine, imagine like Luke Skywalker coming in in the theater. Oh, no, I don't want to see that face on that big screen. <laughs> well, <laughs> they can cut it off before that happens. I just want the the five minutes preceding that. Um, like that. Imagine that moment in the theater. That, would, that, like, that, that could be yeah. like... An end game level that reaction. Would have been like somebody got their, yeah, somebody has their phone out and they, they feel, yeah. yeah. So I, I think like, like you can say what you want about Marvel and Disney playing it safe, but I think whether you like the stuff they make or not, they are pioneering new roads for cinematic storytelling. Like they're changing the landscape. I don't think that can be denied. Yeah. And, for like the the realist in me, like I I fully understand the idea of weekly releases to keep people subscribed longer. Blah blah blah. I, anything that gets us back to like the water cooler TV, like that's I love that. I love the weekly discussion. I love I love knowing that I don't have to ask like, oh, are, are you on that episode? Like, yeah, this is the most recent episode. We're all on the last episode. I, I like we- that for one show at a time. <laughs> Everything else I want to binge. 
like I, I wouldn't want to watch all my TV like this, <laughs> well, but having that that's... one show, you know, two or three shows a year like this, that I can, I can deal with that. That brings it. So that's that's the thing in, that I'll, that I'm saying in defense is is that I I love this thing and this is all very subjective to me. It's not a they shouldn't do this or they should do this because of X Y or Z. This is my own preference in, in consuming this is because I I really do love that weekly thing and and what like when it comes to new stuff, watching it, knowing we're all watching the same. My only concern with what's with what Disney's doing and what they're sure to inspire is, I mean it's it's really what happens with any movement and so when people pretend it's specific here or unique to this is, is a bit silly anytime anything catches on there's oversaturation yeah and it, it, it's gonna i we might lose kind of the episodic tv which most of that i don't have a huge attachment to but there are a lot of classic shows that would not be as good without those 22 episodes to just go every which way and do these little funny stories there's that and there's just it's I, it is, like I, I I do worry that we'll lose that. Although I mean, I, generally I'm not. It's it's really really hard to get me to watch TV. I'm usually just Same watching here. movies. Like, the 22 what, episode format is why I don't watch TV. But then there are the shows that I love. You know, your Fireflies, your Buffies, like which are, like they're not what they are without that 22 episode format. Yeah, but like you know, with the with the Star Wars reveal, I. I have something to look forward to in each individual series, but at the same time, I'm like, there's so many shows, there's so many things to keep up with, and I'm a completionist, <laughs> and I gotta, and that that's when I'm talking about my own subjective stuff. Like that's my worry is that is we're getting we're getting, and this is all just like that's that's just Star just Wars. The the, import, the important film franchises moving to TV as well. Yeah, it's just like it's gonna be overload for me and i'm going to up until now i've been able to like i i haven't been forced to pick and choose i'm just like oh I, i'll watch this and that's fine but it's, it's getting to the point of like i i can only watch so much new stuff while also you know watching older movies that i missed and stuff and and it's i i worry that i'm going to get to the point of like i I'll catch up on this later if I have time or, or maybe, maybe on my next vacation, I can, you know, binge that in a day or something. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to start, eventually I'm going to start missing out on the heights of some of these shows. But that, that's the benefit of them putting so much money in that they can only make so many episodes. It's only yeah, six episodes, it's only eight episodes, only nine episodes. So it's not like, you wake up one day and oh, there are two seasons yeah. of forty-four episodes that I'm behind on. Yeah, so it's we are like something. It's going to be a lot of change, and you know it's we'll probably have oversaturation at some point. Then we'll you know the, the, it'll flatten out, and then the new the new thing is going to happen. But right now, I think we're in we're in the the time of change, and it's and and beyond like I think our creative viewing habits. I think financially there's huge incentives to go weekly. As I said, you know, you can rule the airwaves for two months or for a week and you're paying the same amount of money. Which which way do you want to go? Um, it, like it makes financial sense to go back to weekly weekly um, uh, t- TV releases. The, th- the thing is, like, I, I feel like we're, you know, we're, we're two episodes in on the, or two seasons in on The Mandalorian and then two kind of mini series ish things in MCU. So we're very much in the the beginnings of this, so it's all speculation. But 
yet five years from now, things are going to look different, very different. All right, so that was our review of the first half of WandaVision. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, I'd like to ask you again to please uh, take a moment to give us a rating and review and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, if you want to like us on Facebook, we're there as Franchise Fatigue Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram as at FranchisedPod, and you can find all the other episodes at FranchiseFatiguePodcast.com. And so next week, we'll be finishing off this season with uh, the final five episodes. Uh, where things uh, start to get real. So, until next week, we will see you in part two. Flourish! Flourish.